Remain standing to honor the gospel of Jesus the Christ. His words come to us today from Luke chapter 21, where Luke, where Jesus is uh, foreseeing what is to come and sharing in, in uh, metaphorical language, apocalyptic language, the vision of a world becoming unmoored. Let's listen for the word of the Lord. When some of the disciples were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, Jesus said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. They ask him, teacher, when, when will this be? And what will be the signs about that this is about to t- take place? And Jesus said, beware that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name and say, I am he. The time is here. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified. For these things must take place first, but the end will not follow immediately. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and plagues and there will be dreadful dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues and prisoners and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance. For I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed. Even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends. And they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name. But not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As you're seated, we invite our children to be dismissed for their time of worship. And as our children leave, we take a moment to pray together. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. If your word can come through a preacher, good. If it comes through the text, good. But mostly it comes by way of your abiding spirit within every human heart. Awaken us to the presence of your light and love within us. And let us listen and be transformed to be your people for this day and time. In your holy name we pray. Amen. 
Do you remember a long time ago, way back in 2015, when there was this internet phenomenon about the dress? What color is the dress? You remember this? Some people saw the dress and thought it looked gold and white. They were sure it was gold and white. Other people looked at the very same dress and saw that it was blue and black. We see things differently. Sometimes it's our optics. We, we just see and receive information differently. My friend Larry Bethune, who was a graduate of Princeton Seminary, talked about a couple of scholars, Bruce Metzger and J.C. Becker, New Testament theologians, who were coming out of the lecture hall one day, walking together, when suddenly in front of them, out of the tree, fell a squirrel dead on the ground. Becker was about to launch into uh, comments about the finitude of life, kind of an existential crisis in the world, all that's going on, when suddenly Bruce Metzger pointed at the squirrel and said, I know the Greek word for squirrel. (laughs) Really different ways of viewing life. And sometimes those differences can be helpful. They're constructive and informative. It's a better way to understand and clarify and harmonize, to see things from different points of view. But then there are other times, then there are other times when different points of view reveal a profoundly different vision. My friend Marcus McFall told me a story one time about pastoring at First Baptist Columbus, Indiana. This rough guy in the community had been converted, an older man uh, with adult children. He had uh, been estranged from them for many years. He'd lived this hard life, but he had come to Christ and was going to be baptized in his church. His son and daughter, who hadn't spoken to him for a long time, showed up for the baptism, and it was a beautiful moment. As in front of the congregation, he professed, Jesus Christ is Lord, and was baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He came up out of the waters of baptism as the congregation continued on with the service. He walked down the steps, and in this particular church, you had to walk down two flights of steps to get to where the dressing rooms were. And when he got to the bottom of the steps, he fell over dead of a heart attack. His last words being, Jesus Christ is Lord. A week later, his son became a Christian and was baptized found faith. But that same week, his daughter filed a lawsuit against the church because of the death of her father. Two different ways of of seeing the same reality. Sometimes our different visions do not complement and complete each other. Sometimes our different visions divide us. They dismantle and destroy And then the question is, what do we do? What do we do, the church? What's our role? In Luke chapter 21, Jesus tells the impressed disciples as they stare at this beautiful temple, not one stone will be left on another. It will be destroyed. It will be dismantled. No, they said. No way. Okay, that happened 500 years ago, but it's not going to happen again, not with Herod's temple. 
This is a temple that represents God in the world. I don't think Jesus was using any kind of divine power, any kind of superpower to predict what he saw into the future. And that is different, a different and a competing vision will dismantle this temple and all that it represents. And in fact, that is what happened. Some 40 years later, just one generation later, Rome came in and wiped out the temple. Now, I've read these passages for many, many years. When I was a young Christian, we were told that this had all, all this had to do with the second coming, with Jesus coming someday. And, and so, to be honest, I never thought that these words seemed very relevant, very applicable in my day and time. And we thought, well, that, that's not us. No one's going to threaten the church. We're woven into the culture. We're the, we're the country's conscience. And today we know differently. We know there are forces that will denounce justice, denounce love, will reject inclusion and generosity and civility, all the things that were represented by the temple and by the church today. And they will dismantle the systems and institutions and policies that were designed to implement these deep and abiding truths And in their place, they will build walls and create loopholes. Loopholes to racism and greed and xenophobia and sexism and fear. You can call it national security. You can call it practicality. You can call it reigning in entitlements. You can call it making people go to work. But ultimately, this vision is a vision that is angry over lost privileges. It is a vision of selfishness. It's a fear of difference. It's a vision of hoarding, of scarcity, and ultimately rejecting the teachings of Jesus, who is the Christ. Ironically, the church has been worried, the larger church has been worried for some years about what they see as sort of the demise of the church. People aren't going to church as much. There's a lot of apathy. They say, we're told that people don't have a desire really to, to build on what the church stands for, that it seems irrelevant to them. Here we've been discussing the demise. While there have been other people of faith over here, arguing over when Jesus is going to come again, when the second coming is going to happen, when all along the real threat in the 21st century is a head-on assault on all that the temple, all that the church stands for. So that brick by brick, stone by stone, the foundation of faith is being dismantled and disavowed and being replaced. And I'm not talking just about Christianity. I'm talking about the truths in Judaism, in Islam, in Buddhism, in Native American spirituality. All of it is being repudiated, repudiated by this dark force which seems to have won the day. This threat has even done what seemed to me to be impossible. It's put Al Mohler and me on the same side of the issues. 
We agree on little. Our approach to the Bible is different. But we're not arguing over the Bible now, whether it's literal or metaphorical. We're not arguing over that. We are united now. But because we recognize that there is this large swath of our sisters and brothers, our sisters and brothers, who in their frustration and in their alienation, including a majority of people who call themselves Christians, who have developed a myopic vision of what Jesus stands for that insulates them, gives them permission and encouragement to have disdain for others, to celebrate their privilege and their superiority. Of course, they don't see it in themselves. They they don't see it. They're blind. We can't hate them. We can't we can't put them down. They're blind. They're blind. They think they're defending Christianity. Remember the war on Christmas? Where they said you're not honoring Christ because you changed the color of the coffee cup. Or because you're saying Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays instead of Merry Christmas when we buy something from you. When all along there's not been a war on Christmas. But there is a war on Christ. There's a war on Christ. And on the ways and the teachings of Jesus who is the Christ. There is a message out there that says in place of reverence. We will promote disdain. In place of humility, we will bring hubris. In place of compassion, we will mock. In place of the common good, we will say everyone for themselves. In place of love of your neighbor, we're going to say love yourself. In other words, a complete defiance and disdain for the values and the vision of God who is shown to us in Jesus the Christ. It's unbelievable. But it's our reality. I felt a little bit like Buzz Lightyear in the movie Toy Story when he suddenly discovered that he wasn't the real Buzz Lightyear. I feel a little chagrined. I I thought we were doing better. But now we're awakened by God to turn our full attention, in the words of Jesus, to the things that make for peace. Not just for us. And not just because we want to win. This isn't about ego. This is about people, real people. People we know and love who are on the margins. The poor, the immigrant, the refugees, those without power or voice, the LGBTQ community. And beyond individuals, there's the concern about proliferation of nuclear weapons. Concerns to the environment, global relations, on and on. It's so interesting to me that a passage of scripture that a few weeks ago would have been heard as largely irrelevant or distracting to us in our times, kind of this futuristic, what's going to happen someday, now sounds like the prophetic word for today's church. 
Because God's dream is being challenged. God's image, the nine are read from Isaiah 65, or the wolf and the lamb lie down together, where there's no war anymore. This vision of harmony, of unity, is being challenged by forces allied to create a monopoly on power and wealth. And we've been sickened and frightened. And each of us in our own way and time. We'll find the moment when we can come out of this. And when we do, we will hear Jesus say, this is exactly why we're here. This is why we were born into this world. This is why we're alive for this present moment. Luke gives us all this apocalyptic horror about earthquakes and portents in heaven and all this persecution. And in the midst of it, Jesus says, oh yeah, and this will give you an opportunity to testify. I have to say, like the big Lebowski, that had not occurred to me. That had not occurred to me. Jesus' words, calm, wise, responding to the crisis of the day, saying, see this as an opportunity. Don't quit. Don't hide. Speak the truth to power. I love in the hymn we sang earlier, Oh, praise the power, the truth, the love, the word, the tide. Yet more than these, oh, praise their source. Praise Christ the crucified. We're speaking the truth here. It's a window, it's a moment, an opening for you and me, for the church, to bring the teachings and practices and wisdom and the spirit of Jesus to the world. Not not to fight We're learning you can't fight this. All you can do is testify to it. And to testify to it in love and in humility. Not that we're right and they're wrong, we're good and they're bad. But I once was blind. But now I see. Can I tell you what I see? Because I see it differently. Let me, see, let me tell you how I think Jesus sees it. It's an opportunity for us to be what for so long we have so hesitated being evangelistic. Evangelistic. I'm not talking about trying to get people to come and join Highland Baptist Church. I'm talking about being promoters of the good news. What is the good news? Jesus quoted Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is upon me to bring good news to the poor. Recovery of sight to the blind. To let the oppressed go free. It is the call of God on the people of God to testify to the good news. That's what, that's what God said to Abram long, long ago. Long before the nation of Israel was even formed. He said, I will bless you. And through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. In other words, it's not that you're better than everyone else. But you're the messenger. 
Go speak the truth. The church has been here before. We, uh, the church has been here through, through the millennia. We, we, it, there's a reason why on Sunday morning we process behind this cross. It's a reminder. This is who we are. We're people who follow the crucified Christ. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And we took that to mean our little club is in and everyone else is out. That's not what he meant. What he meant was this way is the way. This way is the way. There's no other way than self-giving love. We can't kill it. We can't beat, we can't beat the other side. We can't annihilate the There are brothers and sisters. All we can do is speak the truth in love. During the times of slavery in this, these United States, the church tried to stand up and speak. It was a minority voice. Others came with their Bible and had proof that slavery was legitimate and, and, and uh, ordained by God. But there were some who could see the truth. And they spoke. James Russell Lowell, once to every man and nation, comes a moment to decide in the strife with truth and falsehood, falsehood for the good or for the evil side. Some great cause, God's new Messiah, offering each the bloom or blight, parts the goats upon the left hand and the sheep upon the right. You hear the reference to Matthew 25. And the choice goes on forever, twixt the darkness and the light. Jesus said, that's why you're here. That's why we're here. He said, you're not going to need a teleprompter. Don't plan your speech in advance. All you have to do is tell the truth. Just tell the truth. You don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to be scripted. Just tell the truth. And when the truth is spoken, those who have ears to hear and eyes to see will reverence it and receive it. But those who are blind or those who are deaf will reject it and repudiate it not because it's false but because it's too true for them to hear and our response cannot be shame or belittling or condemnation our response has to be love Jesus said to love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. So we can't just preach the truth of God. We have to live the truth of God. We have to live it in every situation, and especially when we're among those who do not share our vision. It's hard It's inefficient. It's a lot easier to force people to do things than to try to love people to do things. It's inefficient. It's not as fun as kicking butt and calling names. But this is our way. This is who we are.
One day, Jesus and his followers were confronted by a hard truth, and John tells us that many of them decided to leave, to quit. He turned to his disciples. He said, what about you guys? You going to quit? And Simon Peter, speaking through the ages, said, Lord, where else are we going to go? Only you have the words that bring eternal life. This is our way. There's no other way. But Jesus said, by your endurance, you will gain your souls. Let's pray together. You have placed us in this world a little space that we might bear your beams of love. So we pray that you will give us the words to say and the spirit in which to say them and the context and the moment where in love we can be your witnesses to truth, to beauty, to wholeness, to eternal life. Glory to you, God, now and forever. In the name of the one who showed us your face, even Jesus the Christ, we pray. Amen.